You are listening to a podcast produced by the New Zealand Centre for Political Research. Follow this and our other podcasts on nzcpr.com. Welcome to our podcast for the 3rd of September 2023, presented by Dr Muriel Newman. The Waitangi Tribunal was established in 1975 as a commission of inquiry into the Crown's alleged breaches of the Treaty of Waitangi. The hope was that it would achieve reconciliation. It hasn't. Some say it has become a vehicle for lawyers to grow rich and activists to pursue a radical agenda that is bringing apartheid to New Zealand. Has the time come to abolish the Waitangi Tribunal? and remove all references to the treaty from legislation. Many think so. They say the tribunal must be abolished if racial unity is to be restored. Here's Muriel Newman. After winning all seven Māori seats in the 2017 general election, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern established the Ministry of Māori Crown Relations, she appointed Deputy Leader Calvin Davis as Minister. He held 20 meetings with the iwi across the country to discuss their priorities for the new agency, and he invited veteran activists Titifaya Harawira and Wikitana Papata to be part of an advisory group. Papata came to attention in 2009 when he was convicted of assaulting former Prime Minister John Key at Waitangi. The Office for Māori Crown Relations, Te Arafiti, is the result of that collaboration with Iwi. It has 200 staff. Amongst the raft of measures designed to promote Māori interests throughout the state sector, this powerful agency helped develop the Treaty of Waitangi Guidelines, which the Cabinet Office uses to instruct ministers and chief executives to ensure new policy is treaty compliant. The guidelines also elevated the role of the Waitangi Tribunal, which it says plays an important role in providing advice to government on the application of treaty principles. Since the Tribunal is now having a significant influence on day-to-day Cabinet decisions, let's examine what we know about it. The Waitangi Tribunal was established in 1975 by the Kirk Labour government to be a permanent commission of inquiry into the Crown's alleged breaches of the treaty. Intense lobbying by the iwi elite led to the Longi Labour government extending its jurisdiction in 1985 to cover historic claims going back to 1840. Even though most claims had already been settled by previous governments, New claims were lodged, resulting in some iwi, like Naitahu, receiving a fourth full and final taxpayer settlement. It is now one of the country's richest iwi, with a $2 billion asset base. Over the next 20 years, as the number of claims escalated, public concerns over the treaty gravy train grew, leading the Clark Labour government to announce a final deadline of 1 September 2008 for filing historic claims. Altogether, 2,034 historic claims were lodged, 
compared to just three in 1987. The Waitangi Tribunal consists of up to 20 members. They're appointed by the Governor-General for a three-year term on the recommendation of the Minister of Māori Affairs. There's a chairman, either a judge, a retired High Court judge or the Māori Land Court judge and between three and seven members are appointed for specific inquiries. Under Section 6 of the 1975 Treaty of Waitangi Act, the Waitangi Tribunal may make recommendations on claims, but since it is not a court, they are not binding on the Crown. The description by Northland orchardist and tutor Robin Grieve of a Waitangi tribunal hearing taking place on a marae near his home provides a rare insight into the workings of this powerful body. Quote, I drew the conclusion that the Waitangi tribunal was some sort of pseudo-court, but the law and the process was unlike anything I was familiar with. The Crown was represented by two fresh-faced young lawyers who were very restrained and respectful in what was referred to as cross-examinations, although they sang well with all participants required to sing a song at the end of the day. After giving his evidence, the claimant was asked by one of the many lawyers there representing Māori to comment on what she described as the inherent racism that his evidence highlighted. The claimant had no idea what she was talking about, so she elaborated. Having land taken under the Public Works Act and not given back happened more to Māori than non-Māori, so that must prove racism, she said. The claimant seemed unsure, but meekly agreed to the lawyer's racism statement, although I'm not sure he really understood what he was agreeing to considering it was never established that his claim had anything to do with the Public Works Act. Then there was the Crown lawyer who asked, Do you have a vegetable garden now that you tend with your own children like your grandfather did with you? No, he replied, it would be nice, but it's just easier to go to pack and save. And that was what it was really all about. Much of what they claimed to be lost was not taken from them, but was given up by them. The Waitangi Tribunal was just a place where that loss had a home. Loss of land, loss of independence, loss of the good old days. And somehow, albeit indirectly, they could blame the Crown and racist Pākehā for the losses they themselves had given up. There seemed little merit or logic to any of the claims. All supporting evidence was ill-prepared, there was very little probing by the Crown lawyers into the gaping holes in the claimant's evidence. The lawyers used each claimant to get some point across that was nothing to do with the claimant's case, but everything to do with the lawyers' anti-Crown and anti-Pakiha propaganda. The Waitangi Tribunal is not a place where the merits of a case are thrashed out to their conclusion. It's a show with a script that appears to take whatever claims were presented no matter how illogical, and use them to further the rhetoric that Māori have lost a lot and that even what they gave up freely was the Pākehā's fault. Two days of hearing were enough for me. I drove home feeling that whether Māori or European, we were all being ripped off by the Waitangi Tribunal's existence. 
I began with the impression that the tribunal might be a questionable entity with a questionable purpose. I now know that that is so. Professor Elizabeth Rata of Auckland University, who's long followed the attempts of tribal leaders to gain control of New Zealand's public institutions, observed firsthand how the Waitangi Tribunal was captured by the iwi elite and radicalised. Quote, The Tribunal played a crucial role in legitimating the material and the political aspirations of the near-tribal elite. The 1985 Treaty of Waitangi Amendment Act that allowed claims to be backdated to 1840 established the Waitangi Tribunal as the main brokerage site between the emergent near-tribal elite and the government. Political recognition and institutionalisation were extended throughout the 1990s to include the concept of a political equal partnership between the tribes and the government. End quote. This radicalisation is evident in tribunal decisions. According to a Ministry of Māori Development Policy Makers Guide, in 1988 the Waitangi Tribunal stated, quote, On reading the Māori text of the treaty, we are satisfied that sovereignty was ceded. End quote. But by 2014, the Waitangi Tribunal's report into the first stage of the Northern Māori Inquiry claimed Māori did not cede sovereignty after all. The report said, quote, We have concluded that in February 1840, the rangatira who signed the treaty did not cede their sovereignty. Rather, they agreed to share power and authority with the governor. They agreed to a relationship one in which they and Hobson were to be equal, end quote. Auckland University of Technology historian Professor Paul Moon was outraged by this. Quote, this report distorts New Zealand's history and seriously undermines the Waitangi Tribunal's credibility. I was shocked by some of the statements contained in their report. This is not a concern about some trivial detail, but over the fundamental history of our country, which the tribunal has got manifestly wrong. End quote. Napui leader David Rankin, who gave evidence at the Waitangi Tribunal's hearing, was scathing, and as an insider, his views are worth repeating. Quote, when my ancestor Hone Heki signed the Treaty of Waitangi, he did so because he knew it was the only option in terms of having a relationship with the British Crown. But the tribunal is now telling us that all those chiefs saw the Declaration of Independence, which a few had signed in 1835, is the basis of their relationship with the British. That is a lie, and it is not what the tribunal was told by me. It may surprise many New Zealanders, but a growing number of Māori are fed up with the Waitangi Tribunal and the entire Treaty Gravy Train. The Tribunal makes up history as it goes along. Facts are admitted in Tribunal reports and evidence is shaped in some cases to fit predetermined outcomes. The bias is so obvious, but most historians are too scared for their careers to question the Tribunal's findings. 
In the 1970s, many of us hoped the tribunal would be an organisation that would achieve reconciliation. It has turned out to be a body that is bringing apartheid to New Zealand. Treaty settlements make Māori corporations rich, along with the help of favourable tax status and often little or no rates to pay. So with these advantages, it's pretty easy to become super profitable. But do you think the average Māori sees any benefit from this? None at all. The tribunal is a bully. Go against it and you will be labelled a racist or worse. Let's be clear. The tribunal exists to make lawyers and a few elite Māori very rich and to give the impression that wrongs are being righted. We all know that the Crown breached the treaty in the 19th century, but by the time of my parents' generation, this was behind us as a people until the Waitangi Tribunal dragged it all up again. End quote. David Rankin believes the Waitangi Tribunal should have been shut down long ago. Former Judge Anthony Willey also believes the Tribunal should go. Quote, the Waitangi Tribunal has not only outlived any usefulness it may have once had, but has become a focus for unending grievances, real or imagined. The Waitangi Tribunal has not only outlived any usefulness it may have once had, but it has become a focus for unending grievances, real or imagined. Increasingly, it drives a wedge between those currently claiming some Maori ethnicity and the overwhelming majority of the rest of the population. Not only is this an insult to the many New Zealanders having some Maori ethnicity who have made standing contributions to all sectors of our society and economy, it has become a gravy train for greedy tribalists claiming and receiving unearned rewards which must be provided by the rest of society, taxpayers. In the interests of social cohesion, the tribunal must be wound up. In doing so, the document signed in 1840 can be relegated to history and New Zealanders of all ethnicities can go back to working to return this country to what it once was, the envy of the world, and not somewhere from which our young and not so young are queuing up to leave. End quote. And that's the point. Unity in this country needs to be restored as a priority. The division the Ardern Hipkins Labour government has created through the recklessness of unmandated power sharing arrangements with the iwi elite has not only damaged the social fabric of New Zealand. It has undermined democracy itself. After the election, the new administration must not only abolish the Waitangi Tribunal and remove all references to the treaty from legislation, but it must also disestablish the Office of Māori Crown Relations, which has become the chief purveyor of the dangerous separatism that is now infecting public and private institutions across New Zealand. That's it for this week. Don't forget to visit www.nzcpr.com if you'd like to register for our free newsletter, take part in our poll or access a treasure chest of valuable information. See you soon. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by NZCPR Media.